This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're right here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. And of course, Carol, that's part of a team of 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. And Jason, you can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio every weekday. Or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News. We've had a bunch of virus news today. Eli uh, Eli Lilly is going to begin testing its COVID-19 antibody drug. They're going to start that. Also, we know we've got global cases surpassing about 18 million with the pandemic, now adding a million infections every four days. So back with us uh, with an update, Dr. Joanne Roberts. She's Chief Value Officer at Providence St. Joseph Health. It is one of the largest healthcare systems in the U.S., and she joins us on the phone from Seattle, Washington. Dr. Roberts, it is nice to have you back with Jason and myself, how do you see the latest batch of headlines and what it says about where we are and how we're handling the virus specifically here in the United States? Yeah. Oh, it's great to talk to you, Carol. Um, I, I, you know, I would echo what we're hearing from our public health experts. Um, what we're seeing in Providence is our hospitalizations uh, remain uh, relatively high, but they are leveling off. What we are seeing in the community, however, is an increasing number of positive tests in the community, um, uh, pretty much up and down the West Coast, especially in the Pacific Northwest. So we are by no means uh, out of the woods yet, even though we are happy about the, the leveling off of the hospitalizations. So, Dr. Roberts, as you look across the country and having had the experience, as we often point out when we have guests from your institution, you guys had the first U.S. case of the coronavirus confirmed. You have seen this develop from essentially start to finish in the United States. What's the biggest mistake people are making when it comes to reopening? Well, I think we, we hear it uh, and, and all of our, uh, from all of our scientists. It is the, the distancing, the mask avoiding crowds, and uh, maintaining good hand hygiene. If we could stick to those four things, I think we could get to an opening faster uh, with some of the institutions in our, in our uh, country. But since not everybody is abiding by that, what does it mean? I mean, do we need to shut down again in order to get control of this? Gosh, you know, I, I, I look at the news shows myself and I tell myself, I'm glad I'm a doctor and not a policymaker. These are difficult choices for our country to make. Uh, what I can say is if we exercise those four things, we would probably be able to open schools safely, um, maybe some other institutions safely, but maybe not bars, um, maybe not, you know, maybe not sports events yet, but we could move faster than we are moving. But we haven't all come together, as you said, on, on just those four, four uh, so things let, we need to do. So, Dr. Roberts, talk to us about schools. Uh, it's top of mind for both Carol and me having school-age kids. I know for a lot of our listeners, it's the thing that they think about all the time, both on behalf of their kids, but also behalf on behalf of themselves, because it affects where you can work, if you can work, et cetera. What are the main things, you know, sort of taking those four things as givens, how do you execute that at a school, at an elementary school or a high school where proximity is baked in? 
how do you actually do it mechanically and logistically? I think every school has to figure out their own solutions for this, or at least every district. Uh, and, and, and maybe that's one of the blessings of having so many districts, because the other factor when it comes to schools that's really crucial is what the prevalence of, of infection rate is in your community. Mm-hmm. If the prevalence rate is very, very low, then it's, much, it's relatively safer to open up face-to-face schools. If the prevalence is very high, probably not. And I think so each district has to, has to gauge that. So let me go one level down on you with you on this because it is, you know, what we've heard from the mayor of New York City is 3% is sort of the the threshold in terms of an infection rate, I believe. If it gets above 3%, then you can't open. Is that just owing to the the nature of the spread? I'm just trying to understand this from a layman's perspective as to sort of what the magic numbers are here, if there are magic numbers. There probably isn't a magic number. I mean, in our in our institution, we we often use one percent as a guide, but mm-hmm. there's there's no perfect number. But the issue is that the risk goes up exponentially as the rate of infection goes up. So right. just if you have one in five kids who is infected in the classroom, the rate of infection that they're going to spread is much, much higher than if it were, say, one in 20. Got our own expert here with us, Dr. Joanne Roberts, Chief Value Officer at Providence St. Joseph Health, still with us from Seattle. So, Dr. Roberts, What's the latest and most important thing we need to know on the medical side, the treatment slash vaccine, whether it be it therapeutics or, uh, or vaccine? You know, um, Jason, we're pulling that apart right now. We just this morning had a call across our system, and our death rates of our hospitalized patients are down about 35% compared with uh, the first part of the year. And we're trying to figure out why that is. We know that the remdesivir has helped. We know that steroids for severely ill people have helped. But we also think that there's just the way we are caring for patients and others that are learning to care for patients is reducing the death rate. Um, so I think there's good news there. Uh, being, we're keeping people off of ventilators and out of the ICU more effectively than we were earlier in the year. And is that how we kind of get control of this? I hate to use the word control because I don't know if that's really the right one, uh, Dr. Roberts, but it's, I think we all think that the ultimate goal is a vaccine, but I feel like increasingly we're hearing from the likes of yourself and others in the medical community that it's really about figuring out treatments of mild, you know, moderate and severe cases and, and figuring out ways to actually keep people who get the virus, keep them alive. It's all three, uh, Carol. It is preventing the disease, which we talked about before. Mm. It is treating the disease effectively when people get it. And most of the work has been on hospitalized patients. We still need to work on keeping people out of the hospital, that, that there's work to be done there. And then, of course, the third area is a vaccine. Okay. So. So let's talk about the vaccine front then, Dr. Roberts, because, again, we, you know, we hear from public officials and that's great. We hear from, you know, folks who have a vested interest in uh, pumping this up a little bit and, and giving us some optimism, which we all want. What's the most realistic timeline from your perspective as you look at it with your trained eye? 
Well, we are, we're planning, we're having meetings in our system, and we're planning uh, that a vaccine could be available even before the end of the year. Uh, of course, it won't be available to everyone right away, uh, even though folks, the, the companies are, are going to try to wrap up. But we're going to have to allocate vaccines in stages, um, and so we have to think about that. But we are thinking about it could be as early as the end of this year. Uh, it's more likely going to be the first quarter, maybe second quarter of next year. But we're hopeful. I mean, and signs are looking good, I think, in the trials. And when it comes to allocation, how does the vaccine get allocated? In, in oh, the most what a difficult, yeah, <laughs> what a difficult question that is. We are having our meetings with ethicists and clinical experts, as well as logistics experts. I just heard on one of your comments about um, setting up um, freezer facilities near uh, airports. Those kinds of things have to be thought of early. Um, but in thinking about allocation, it is how do we protect the most people in our country the fastest? And so rank ordering who gets what first is is going to be a challenge. And I know the federal government has has groups together and they are starting to sort that out as well. And how much are you guys talking about a situation where people say, no, I'm, I'm, uh, there's a vaccine available, but I, I'm I'm hesitant. I'm not going to get it. How big of a concern do you think that is? It's a concern. Uh, we, we certainly are talking about it. We expect there'll be a fairly high, compared to the flu vaccine, for example, we suspect there'll be a fairly high number of people who will say, well, no, thank you. I'll wait. And we have to respect that. I mean, it, 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 whatever comes out, it will be new. It won't have years of track records like measles or flu vaccines. So um, we'll have to do our best to make sure they're safe as best we can tell. But um you know, Americans have individual choice and they will exercise it. But we think most people who are at risk will get the, or get right. the COVID vaccine. Yeah. Well, we've certainly seen that individual choice maybe play out uh, broadly in some questionable ways, I dare say, uh, as we've tried to fight this. All right. Dr. Joanne Roberts, thank you so much. Chief Value mm -hmm. Officer for Providence St. Joseph Health. Joining us on the phone from Seattle. Uh, they've been on the front line since the beginning uh, in Completely. terms of the United States. Uh, that was where we saw the first confirmed case, Carol, as you know. Yeah, I think it's just interesting, you know, what she has to say. You know, it's not only about finding the vaccine, and you and I have been talking about this, about, you know, then ramping up production and then getting it to the people who need it. And it's not just a case of and, folks and in the U.S., but those globally people want take it. it. I know. I know, right? I mean, <laughs> I think we're going to be talking a lot more about that over the course of the back half of this year. Well, and, you know, as she said, this isn't a vaccine with years of track record right. behind it. This is a very different situation. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Jason Kelly and Carol Masser here with you. Time to check in with our pal, Joel Weber, the editor of Bloomberg Business Week, to kick off the week talking a little Tesla, Joel, <laughs> in Massachusetts. Uh, what do you yeah, think of Tesla yeah, these well, days? Uh, this is an interesting story that Sarah Ponzak did, um, and it kind of just came out from you know uh, Tesla reaching this interesting threshold of of being uh, profitable for a year now, and and that is um, you know sort of a benchmark that the S and P uses to perhaps um, you know be a deciding factor in whether or not uh, a, a company could enter the S and P five hundred. Yeah, this is so cool because 
Right. I mean, everybody has been kind of salivating over the possible addition of Tesla to the S&P 500. Um, But it does present some challenges, right, to all of those fund managers out there, Joel, whether it's an index fund fund manager, an ETF fund manager. Um, And I think as Sarah writes it, like kind of one of the biggest challenges that they've faced in years, like, do you start buying now? Do you wait? I mean, it's likely it will be included, but it's not a guarantee. But there's a lot of things to think about. Yeah, it, it's really not clear um, if it's a when or an if still. Um, <laughs> right. You know, and I think to that end, uh, a lot of people think it will, but we, we still don't even have a, a timeline. Um, and when we talk to uh, the folks that are sort of near this, it's like you can have as little just a couple days to find out about that. And what we're looking at, when if Tesla were to or when it does, it will basically be the largest – um, company by market cap to ever enter the S&P 500. Uh, Berkshire is actually the closest proxy that we sort of have when that did more than a decade ago. And what that entails is basically like the weighting of something that's market cap like this. It ends up being a bit of a hairy uh, a transaction. And, and one of the people that we talked to at Vanguard basically said they will be this will be an all-hands-on-deck moment for the team of traders who will have to kind of like figure out how to how to deal with this because it's such a massive uh, uh, behemoth that they're going to have to wrestle with. Well, and one of the things Sarah's story points out as well is that if and when this happens, you know, the moment that the the switch gets flipped on the sell side of the trade, it could provide this moment where people are like, yeah, maybe I want to get rid of a little Tesla are going to find there's a massive market just for the reasons that you guys have described, because there are a bunch of people who have to buy it, whether they like it or not. And so just this, right. all of this action that takes place is is a fascinating thing to watch. So the flows of that are going to be something that's going to be particularly interesting to do, because, you know, there's so many people that are have been bullish on, on Tesla, or the bears for that matter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who, who definitely, it's been a, a costly uh, couple of months for for them and, and the shorts especially. The the, uh, the thing that sort of the article culminates with is actually if you kind of like look back on, on history a little bit, whenever there's been sort of something like this, when we've seen run-ups in in other stocks, but by the time that it gets included into the index, the the uh, the prevailing year, the the year that follows inclusion, doesn't have that same outperformance. Uh. So that might be something to keep in mind with Tesla. I mean, it's had such a uh, just an incredible run, um, but it sort of makes you wonder, you know, if history is any guide with other past examples, if they'll be able to kind of keep that going. Let's not also forget, I mean, Tesla is a massive company. Like, you look at its market cap, I'm just pulling it up right now, it's about $276 billion. So you think about how much, you know, weighting it will be of the S&P 500 index, and then you think about Tesla can be a very volatile stock. And so you've got to be ready for the impact it's going to have on the overall S&P 500, Joel. That's right. And, and, you know, here's yet another test. And and just even the inclusion of this, um, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, it's going to just be a, a massive uh, day <laughs> when that right. day comes. And, and you know, we'll, we, we don't know, again, we won't know when that happens, but uh, our, our sort of spidey sense says that it probably will uh, sometime in the near future. And, you know, there'll be a couple ones that will probably um, drop out of the index. Uh, and, and the timing of that all could just be wrapped up in sort of like a, a normal order of business almost. Yeah. Well, and it could be only, you know, a couple of days notice when it 
uh, when it actually happens. All right, so it's Monday, which means you're in the midst of the next issue. This story, this great story by Sarah Ponzak is in the issue that's on newsstands now. Give us a little bit of a sneak peek. We got you on the line. We got you captive. Uh, tell us what we may see this week. Well, I mean, the, the TikTok uh, drama is one that I think we're we're all kind of um, interested in, and it's just a, such a fast moving uh, uh, target that I think we'll we'll just continue to kind of like see see what happens um, by the time we, we go to press. Um, it, it, you know, we're we're all kind of watching that as closely as we can. Uh, Microsoft really has found, seems to have found a leg up on sort of all the big tech companies right. from last week. And I, you know, I think that that big tech moment, it's part of uh, a, the bigger story here. You know, Microsoft has gone through such a antitrust reckoning in the nineties. Yeah. They're, they're sort of short up on this. And I think that that is like really interesting theme here as, at Google, um, Amazon, all of these companies that are, are now sort of having the antitrust scrutiny put on them. Microsoft is the one that, you know, if you look at, at market caps, like we're talking like the second most valuable company in the world here. I know. And I they know. basically, everyone else can't make a move for TikTok. And Microsoft is like, sure, we'll take that off the market for you. Like, that's a great advertising play for us. We've got Xbox. We've got Minecraft. Like, so it really does kind of look like Microsoft could walk away with with something here that um, would be quite an advantage compared to uh, you know the the Facebooks and and Googles of the world. Well, right, and we're going to catch up with Dina Bass uh, actually uh, a little bit later in the next hour uh, to talk about that Microsoft angle because I do think back to that great cover story you guys did, Joel, about Satya Nadella and what he has done to really transform Microsoft. I mean, this could be a different sort of capstone deal. Well, the company yeah, having the an advertising directors alone. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that what you guys said? An Adelisance. Yeah, Adelisance. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> you know I, that. That that advertising dollar, I think, is like what was most interesting about it. But again, I think the the thing that's relevant for for the issue that we're we're working on right now, especially, is just sort of thinking about things through that antitrust lens because yeah. I think that is going to be a theme of the next couple months. And obviously, there's some political stuff in the background that is going to play out here the election. But you know, what one thing that's just really interesting about the the tech companies is like. I saw, see, saw these numbers. Somebody compared it to the financial crisis. All of them were way down in, during the financial crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And as down as they were then, they are up big now. Big time. Yeah, we talk about it every day. I mean, NASDAQ at a new record, record high today. All right. Joel Weber, back to it. Uh, good luck on the next issue. We'll be talking to you tomorrow. I'm sure Joel Weber, the editor of Bloomberg Business Week, talking to us, giving us a little bit of a preview, but also talking a little bit about Tesla and that great story by Sarah Ponzak. I'm looking forward to talking to Dina Bass, too, about Microsoft and totally. his next and Andy Brown. Yeah, exactly. So we want to continue talking about TikTok. As we said, we wanted to do a deep dive. And in a bid to salvage a deal for the U.S. operations of TikTok, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella spoke with President Trump by phone about how to secure the administration's blessing to buy TikTok. Let's get into uh, to it with uh, Dina Bass. She's Seattle Bureau Chief. She knows more about Microsoft than anyone at Bloomberg, and she joins us uh, on the phone uh, on this Monday. Dina, it is good to have you here with us. We just talked with Andy Brown of Bloomberg New Economy about kind of what this means, kind of the stress uh, over TikTok from the administration, what it means for U.S.-China relations. Um, what does it mean for Microsoft and why they want this property? Look, so the two companies have been talking since July, and, and it sort of came about because, from you know, according to, to my sources, because 
uh, you know, ByteDance, the Chinese owner of TikTok, was, was kind of running out of options for, for what to do to avert a U.S. ban. The, for Microsoft, this is not an area where they currently have any assets. And in fact, they, they've tried in consumer social media, um, and, and they haven't done, you know, they've had some efforts, they haven't gone well, their search adver- excuse me, their display advertising business has also not gone well, and they wound up exiting it. So they would be in some ways getting back into an area where they don't currently have anything. And so, you know, over the weekend, uh, financial analysts debated, uh, you know, in various dueling notes whether that makes any sense. These are obviously lucrative markets. Facebook and uh, Google do very well in them, but they're also not the uh, historical business-focused markets where Microsoft has succeeded. So, you know, you have a position where it's a little bit different for them. Now, the, the one acquisition it does somewhat resemble that has gone well for Microsoft is the acquisition of Minecraft, where Microsoft bought an existing massive engaged video game community and has grown it and, and run it well. And so I, I assume what they would think to do here is a similar model where they take this existing community, try not to muck with it too much, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> grow it, make it comply with what the U.S. government wants in terms of data security, and, and you know, hopefully they, they don't, um, you know, destroy it in the way that they did uh, some other things, like, you know, one, one could point to uh, the Skype community, um, which is, you know, Skype has not gone well, it has not grown, it has decreased since, since Microsoft purchased it. Tina, uh, I'm here with you. Sorry, I had a little power outage here. Uh, working from home, always yeah. a challenge. Uh, as you know, uh, uh, technology, got to love it. Uh, so I got to ask you, I mean, you know this company so well. Put this in the context of both historical Microsoft and Nadella Microsoft. So, uh, you know, in terms of historical Microsoft, I think, you know, as we meant, as I just mentioned, the company's done some acquisitions that have not gone well, that have not been strategic, and, and two that come to mind in the context of this deal are a quantive where they purchased a dis- large display advertising business, um, completely trashed it, had to write down almost the entire value of it, and Skype, where they bought an engaged consumer community, a, a very popular consumer app, uh, it stagnated for years. They missed most of the uh, strategic changes in that market and were passed by, by other competitors. Now, Nadella has done much better with his acquisitions. You point to, to Minecraft, as I just mentioned. Uh, you know, jury's still out on LinkedIn and GitHub, but they have so far gone pretty well. The other thing that's different about them is that they've been allowed to run on their own. And so the, I think we, you know, we, the question, should Microsoft succeed in purchasing TikTok, is would that be a similar model or would they seek to integrate it? Uh, you know, how would that work? I think you also have an interesting situation here in terms of the relationship between Microsoft and both the U.S. government and the Chinese government. Uh, Microsoft has, uh, you know, there have been some situations where they've been where they've been in opposition to the Trump administration. They've sued the Trump administration on issues related to immigration and data security and privacy. At the same time, they they have managed to forge a working relationship. Uh, you know, unlike Google, they have been much more willing to work with the U.S. military on technology. They have very large uh, technological contracts with the U.S. government. And so they've, they've forged this relationship as, as something of a trusted partner for the U.S. government. Uh, unlike the other four big tech companies, they don't seem to currently be under antitrust scrutiny as well, which is relevant in any sort of deal. So- Microsoft also has long roots in China. Uh, 
which, you know, they're coming under fire for today for, uh, you know, China hawks in the administration like like Peter Navarro, who are opposing the deal. Right. Well, you know, and there was a headline that crossed the Bloomberg that said uh, President Trump wants payment to the U.S. as part of a TikTok deal. What does that mean? And we just got about 30, 40 seconds here, Dina. So uh, short answer, we do not know. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We're trying to figure out what what that would what that means. That yeah. feels to me, I mean, not knowing anything about knowing about as much as you do, probably significantly less than you do, Dina. But it sounds like to me, it's the president being like, yeah, I've done some deals. And usually whoever brings you the deal gets paid. So I want to get paid. Well, we do see aspects of, of Donald Trump's art of the deal in this also yeah. in the 45 day deadline. Right? Totally. So, uh, you know, Microsoft and, and ByteDance mm. are working also with what uh, President Trump himself feels should be the way that deals go. Uh, And that may be a new experience for Microsoft. I love catching up with Dina Bass. She knows so much about this. Uh, And as we were putting together this show, it really was one of those get me Dina Bass moments. So really uh, grateful to her for uh, sharing some of her knowledge. Our Seattle BR chief, longtime Microsoft watcher, Dina Bass, joining us from Seattle. Yeah, great to check in and we'll see. I mean, I feel like we're going to be tracking headlines on Microsoft for a while here until either a deal happens or it doesn't happen. I'm driving in my car I turn on the radio How about you let me drive? Oh, no. No, no, no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please. I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me. I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. It is time for the drive to the close. Back with us, Sean Cruz, manager of Trader Strategy over at TD Ameritrade, joining us on the phone from Chicago. Sean, it has been an insane several weeks when it comes to earnings. No rest for the weary this week because we get all of those media earnings, get a little bit more tech, and I guess we start to get into, we don't, I guess, quite get into retail yet, but we got some healthcare and uh, pharma names coming out for us. Uh, What's top of mind for you, especially given what we've heard so far? So we, we do get one uh, retailer this week that I think is going to be particularly interesting, and that's Wayfair. Uh-huh. Um, you look at the stay-at-home economy, and people are buying office furniture for their houses. Or now they need a more comfortable couch. <laughs> they usually can go on something like Wayfair and, and get something uh, that's fairly affordable. And we also hear from Uber this week, and that's going to be interesting because, on the one hand, you don't have people out and about moving around, but you do have people ordering food deliveries. So it'll be interesting to look into those parts of their business. Um, we also get the uh, monthly employment situation report this Friday. But I have a feeling no matter what the headline is that comes off of the report, the very next sentence will probably mention last week's initial jobless mm-hmm. claims number that spiked and the continuing claims numbers also spiked as well. That won't be included um, in this uh, the employment situation report this week because it's uh, taken off the usually the second week of the the prior month. So I, I kind of feel like that'll be the, the caveat that, that comes alongside of any headlines we, we get out Friday. So um, definitely have 
tech behind us, the big the Fang names, and it was incredible to see what they did at the NASDAQ on Thursday on good earnings. Um, but I am really interested to start hearing from some of these other companies as they start actually putting guidance back in. Because I think we all know how things went last quarter. If you're a tech company, probably had a pretty good quarter. If you're more of the, the real economy type companies like a consumer discretionary, probably didn't have the best quarter. But hearing guidance from uh, management will definitely be something to look at. We have incredible bounces off of the lows, Sean. I mean, we know we had a big sell-off and then we had a big bounce back when it comes to the major equity averages. At this point, and based on that there are still so many questions what the rest of the year looks like for companies, for individuals, for the economic environment, do you feel like it's time for folks to maybe take some money off the table and just kind of sit back a little bit and be a little bit more conservative? So I, I don't know that you necessarily need to take money off of the table. We've seen our clients actually, they started taking uh, some money on the sidelines in February, and they've been actually adding to their equity exposure starting in, in late March. So maybe you don't necessarily need to go completely to the sidelines, but you can maybe look at rebalancing. Um, it, certainly if you're in, in a name like Amazon, Apple, or Microsoft, you don't need to completely get out of those positions, but maybe trim down some exposure and start finding other opportunities out there. The presumption is if we do get a, a, a reopening of the economies and we're able to get things really going again, there's probably some good value out there in, in the financials and the industrials and the consumer discretionary sectors that you could take some profits on the tech companies now and roll into and be well positioned for the sort of the reopening trade. When do you think the reopen trade really happens, though? So it, it it's really is in major part um, going to be when the vaccinations come out or if we can just sufficiently turn the corner um, of, of being able to maybe reopen a little bit more. And, and a lot of that I think we got is going to come off of new cases. And we sort of had some positive headlines over the weekend on that front. So either it need to be the vaccinations or just a general rolling over of, of new cases and, and fatality rates dropping. I think then you can start getting some of these uh, government officials more comfortable with easing some of the restrictions that are in place. And once you start doing that, the markets will usually start pricing things in four to six months in advance. So once you even start getting an indication that that's going to happen, I have a feeling that trade could evolve very quickly. Uh, Sean, I'm going to take this in a slightly different direction because one of the things we were fascinated by last week was Apple and this four-for-one split and everything that kind of goes along with it. And I have to say, it had been a long time, and I've been doing this for a while, before since I saw a lot of companies splitting their stocks. It, it feels like tech companies especially, they're cool with you know just like going up and up and up. I think about Tesla and where it is, and I know that's sort of a tech and an automotive company. But talk about sort of the psychology and talk about the market's reaction to Apple splitting four for one. So I think the market one is definitely taking notice of that, and it, it does make um, the, the stock a little bit more affordable um, going out there and buying shares and instead of needing to get together you know, a couple hundred bucks just to buy one for $100, it's $100 a share. So yeah, I think it, it will definitely, I think, increase some interest in the, the company itself. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that affects the Dow Jones because that's a price-weighted uh, index. So mm -hmm. Apple went from being one of the more important companies in the Dow Jones to now it's it's pretty far down the list. Um, but I, I do think it'll be interesting to see if other companies follow suit, because Apple specifically stated they wanted to make their stock more accessible to the general public, and that's why they, they did that split. 
But, I mean, do you think of Apple doing a four-for-one for Amazon to get to a, a similar price level? They need to do a 30-for-one split. Right. But I think it, it, it is interesting to see if uh, you, you start to see other tech companies now follow suit. And, and you might get some very interesting studies in market structure um, based off how maybe trading um, changes now that you have Apple down at, at 100 versus over 400. What's one interesting investment idea right now that you think investors should should consider? Just got about 30, 40 seconds here. Yeah, I, I really think right now uh, you can start to look at your portfolio and, and try and find some opportunity and some, maybe some beat up names. Um, and I, I do think in the, in the financials in particular, there's some pretty good opportunity in there right now. And it, it, you look at the current scene and what we're seeing with interest rates and net interest margins not looking great and the economy's, you know, certainly stagnating. But if you want to position yourself for that reopening, the financials right now, I think, are trading at some interesting valuations. All right, Sean Cruz, thank you so much. Always good to talk to you, talk some names, talk some strategy. Really appreciate it. Manager of Trader Strategy over at TD Ameritrade. He joins us on the phone from Chicago. I mean, it is interesting, though, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about Apple after the close, but well over $100 stock even with the split it's coming now. I mean, it's trading like $436, up another 10% today. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable, right? I, you know, when I finally did hear about that split, I was like, whoa. But I did wonder right. about, you know, it certainly makes it more Sorry, accessible. Sorry, up an, another $10, excuse but me. That's okay, but it certainly makes it more accessible to investors, right? And you do wonder about some of those other tech names that have been on such a run, whether or not they'll follow suit. So certainly something uh, we will keep an eye on. Thanks so much for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News.